I remember this particular story because it was one of the only times that I have experienced the level of rage (laughs) towards a child that I think that this mom might be talking about. And, um, and it terrified me. It, it absolutely wrecked my own view of myself and who I am or who I was. Welcome to the Relational Parenting Podcast. I'm Jennifer Hayes, a parent coach and 20-year child care veteran. Each week, I sit down with my own father, Rick Hayes, and discuss the complicated issues that parents face today, as well as some of the oldest questions in the book. From the latest research and the framework of my relational parenting method, we offer thought-provoking solutions to your deepest parenting struggles, or in other words, how to parent your kids without losing your mind or traumatizing theirs. Added bonuses include intergenerational wounding discussions and guest childcare experts. We will also start taking your parenting questions in episode five. So be sure to comment with your biggest questions or email me directly at Jenny at JennyB.co. Let's get started. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to week five of the Relational Parenting Podcast. This week's episode is a little vulnerable, a little more experiential, and a little revealing of some of our personal flaws and stories. I received an email a few weeks ago from one of my parents on my newsletter list, and it reminded me of something I've experienced, and I've known many other parents to experience as well, something called mom rage or parent rage, because it happens to all types of parents and primary caregivers. I really wanted to do an episode on this because it's something that a lot of parents also tend to feel alone in. Or we convince ourselves that no one else feels like this. And that's fair, because most of us don't talk about it when we have those shame-inducing feelings towards our kids. It's hard to admit. So let's normalize it. Let's bring it into the light so we can deal with it, heal it, and move forward with more skills for raising kids without trauma. Thank you so much to my reader for being so vulnerable and honest and for allowing me to share this message with the parenting world. This week we are talking about parental anger. Some would call it rage. Um, It has been referred to as mom rage. Um, I don't like calling it that. I think that every parent at some point or another experiences anger that comes from the depths of their soul. And I wanted to talk about that this week because I received an email from a parent who uh, reads my newsletter. So I sent out a weekly newsletter on Sundays. This mom responded to one of my newsletters and I'm going to read you guys that email. And then um, we're going to pull that apart and dig into that a little bit. So good morning. Can I just say, first and foremost, I am so grateful to have read this this morning. Thank you. Sometimes as a single mom, I struggle so much with feeling the weight of everything on my shoulders and this friendly reminder of we all struggle in parenting, but we can do this is a good reminder. I will most definitely be looking forward to reading your messages every Sunday morning now. My son is four and a half going on 16, I swear. He's so smart, so independent, and so stubborn. 
I feel as though I am failing him in some ways because I know I have taught him unhealthy response mechanisms already. When I get overstimulated, I get angry. And it's an anger I can't really explain and have never experienced before motherhood. Weird, right? But again, I think that's because it all falls on my plate. I work full time, have a very demanding job, one that requires me to log in sometimes in the evening after a full eight hour day was completed. And as I type this, I don't even know what the point of sending hitting send is because I just feel like it's me who can't figure this life out and it's tiring and frustrating. So, yeah. So a lot of, uh, a lot of vulnerability in that email that I got. And I was, I was so grateful to this mom when she sent that to me that she opened up and, um, reached out and, you know, said, what was on her heart and I was able to respond and, and hopefully help a little bit in some way. And also so glad that the newsletter was reaching people who needed to hear a little encouragement. Um, That's pretty cool. Not good. It's good to get some feedback. I'll bet. Yeah. So it's great to get feedback and it's great to have, you know, the sharing and I wanted to, to, share this because it also broke my heart. It also, you know, there's whether you're a single parent or you are married or you have a parenting partner, um, in any of the millions of ways that can happen. Um, parenting can still feel very lonely and especially with the way that our society is set up, we are no longer, you know, we no longer live in tribes or villages or, you know, some parts of the world do, but here in the USA, um, in first world countries, developed countries, it's very, you know, everyone has their own house, everyone. And and it's just like the nuclear family and you, you know, one or two adults live in the home and however many children and that's it. And people barely even talk to their neighbors anymore. And, you know, there's some, some ways that people find community and maybe that's through church or through other parents at the school that your kids go to or whatever it might be. But in, in many ways and in most ways, we are very secluded and very alone in our parenting journeys. And so loneliness can be a very real part of parenting uh, nowadays. And so that's one of the things that I saw in this email was that she felt like she was the only one who can't figure this life out. And I think that that is a common feeling that parents have. I know that it is. I've talked to many parents and I know that it's a common feeling that a lot of parents have and can lead to almost like feeling like you're crazy or you're the only one that yells at your kids or you're the only one, you know, messing up. And having to apologize or reading a a parenting book and feeling like you just, your lizard brain just takes over sometimes. Yeah. So I'm curious, did you ever experience that when you were parenting? Oh, absolutely. That's the nature of parenting. We've talked before. I mean, you kind of have to figure it out as you go. There are the world is the world. There are stresses and strains. You have to do it in amongst that situation, you know, that, that environment. 
You know, there's uh, learning, learning how to keep your environment steadier, as steady as you can, uh, is part of the is part of the challenge, is part of the learning curve. Absolutely. Did you do you remember feeling like, like, do you feel like you had people, other parents who were friends, with whom you could exchange? frustrations or stories, not just in like a blowing off steam kind of way, but in like an actual productive helping each other out with advice of like, this worked for my kid or this didn't work or, you know, things like that. Did, do you feel like you had people, people outside of the home that you could turn to? I did, but I was not primary caregiver. Um, when you guys were little. So I probably didn't do that as much. Um, I was very interested. I mean, when we went to a party or something, I was always talking with the women about kids and relationships and things rather than sports and, you know, cars and uh, with the guys um, to get that information at work, you know, from people. But uh, I probably did less of it. Um, as a, as a dad that was working far from home. So some, but, and I don't think it was as common come to think of it, uh, 30 years ago, 40 years ago when we were doing that, when we were raising you guys as it probably is today. Yeah. What wasn't as common talking about parenting? Um, yeah. Talking, talk, I mean, when we would, we had friends we would get together with, um, and we would certainly talk with, some friends, I guess it wasn't. It wasn't like a casual conversation. But there were people that we um, had relationships with and shared. You know, they were all raising kids too, and we would talk about, uh, ra- you know, strategies for raising kids and share things. And and uh, yeah, yeah. Now that I think about it, we did do quite a bit of that. We had several couples that we um, socialized with. Uh, you know, we get everybody get together at somebody's house and kids would all play together and the parents would do whatever together. And so those were good sharing times. Yeah. Do you, did you ever have moments where you felt like either you didn't, you you know, you yelled or you did something like, did you ever have a moment where you were like struggling at like to parent well and felt like you were, the only one or like, you know, like everyone else had it figured out and knew what they were doing. And you were the only one that felt like that. I, I remember a lot as we were raising kids thinking as I was raising kids that thinking that there should be a book you can read on this by now. We've been, you know, human beings have been raising kids for a hundred thousand years or something. And where's the manual? I, you know, I have a question. Why can't I just go look this up authoritatively in this situation? Do that. And of course, life's not like that. And there's too many variables. Kids are all different. Parents are all different. Yeah. It's a, it is a, a battle. I saw somebody talking about the choice not to have kids on something I was listening to the other day. 
And, uh, oh, it was Chelsea Handler. That's what it was. You know, here's what not having kids is like. And it's like, you know, having the choice to have kids. Is, yeah. You know, yeah, lady. Quit, you know, I, I was, it, aggra- it aggravated me. It's like, yeah, it's easy. Simpler is always easier. You know, that's not, yeah. that's not why you have kids is, or not have kids, uh, for simpler. It's, uh. Uh, it's a circle of part of a circle of life thing. And I don't sit in judgment of anybody, you know, everybody's choice is different. There's all kinds of reasons. There's, there's no judgment, but, um, it is a, it is certainly a challenge. And if you're doing it right, it's very time consuming and it's not, you know, it's a, needs to be, needs to be something you devote, devote yourself to. And it's, you're not going to do it you're not going to do it perfectly all the time, I guess, is where I'm trying to get to. You, you have to give yourself, you have to give yourself some grace, um, to mess up and do better next time. And just like you do with your kids and everybody else, you know, it's, uh, there are absolutely times where you're not proud of that. Yeah, that's, but absolutely it's, it can be very frustrating and, you know, there's still bosses and jobs and financial issues, and you do it in and amongst that. That's kind of what you're teaching your kids to do is how to deal with that stuff. Yeah, and I want to. So I want to touch on some of that stuff. Is uh, you know, people who make a conscious choice to have children. There's there's many reasons and situations that children come into the world by, and so talking about the population of people who have chosen consciously, purposefully to have children, um, want to be parents, want to guide a new spirit, you know, a new human on earth through, through life. Um, and some of the things that come along with that, that, uh, my friend here in the email was talking about, um, who I also forgot to mention, I asked her permission to share this email, even though I was going to do it anonymously. And she very, very graciously said yes. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so I just want to say thank you to that person for um, being open to this story being shared with, with the world to um, hopefully help someone else who needs to hear it. So some of the other things that I pulled from this email were, specifically the the mom rage or this anger that she says she felt she's never felt until motherhood. And I think that um, it's important to point out here that when you have children, that is now a relationship. And relationships, the purpose of our relationships is one so that we feel connected and loved and supported and safe. But the other purpose of a relationship, either with a romantic partner, with a friend or with your children is to be a mirror and to challenge you and to help you grow as a human being. And they're going to shine a light on those pieces of yourself that are still easily triggered, that are still full of anger or shame or wounding or whatever it might be that needs to come forward, that needs to be seen, that needs to be in the light so that you can become aware of it and work with it and hopefully heal 
it and become a more integrated being in your existence and move through your life feeling more peaceful and more centered and more calm and capable. And mm-hmm. so the that anger is a very natural part of the parent-child relationship. And this is something I want to normalize for any parents that are listening because you there's nothing wrong with you and you are not a bad parent and you are not crazy and you are not incapable because you have you have this anger because you you feel such frustration or high levels of rage towards your child and it's more common than you might think and so um that le- that anger can come from things like like your environment and being overstimulated, touched out, overwhelmed with just juggling life and keeping another human being alive or multiple human beings alive, um, feeling depleted and maybe your cup is completely empty. You haven't done any self-care or maybe you don't have, you know, you don't have any good routines in place, whether that's movement or healthy food or um, whatever it might be. And there's a lot of reasons that those things may not be in place. It's not always just a choice. It could be, uh, let's see. So, so the environment, feeling overwhelmed, feeling overstimulated, being stressed out, things, things that just happen, life is hard, right? So it could be coming from simply a momentary lapse in stress management. Uh, Another place that it could be coming from is as a parent, you are seeing your child's behavior as disrespectful, manipulative, rude, or otherwise being on purpose. And whether it's that they're not listening to you or you're having to repeat yourself or um, they're arguing with you or maybe they're just screaming because they didn't get their way, having a big emotion about something, which, you know, we all know happens often. Um, so the, there's a part of that, that is the fault of how we view our child's behavior. And if we are viewing it as on purpose rather than developmentally appropriate, then we will respond to that child. We will have a, well, first, we will have a feeling about what they're doing. So we will have an emotion happen inside of us that becomes anger or frustration or injustice or feels disrespectful. I've been disrespected. And then that in turn will cause your outward behavior or your verbalization towards your child. Um, And the third thing I want to touch on is that we take things so personally and we can see our child's behavior as a direct reflection of how good or bad of a parent we are, which by the way, just eliminate those words from your vocabulary. You are a parent (laughs) and you are doing your best. And as long as you are doing your best and you are not 
you know, obviously abusing your child in some way intentionally, um, then we are going to set shame aside. And instead of seeing our child's behavior as, you know, oh, well, I did something wrong or I'm not good enough or I can't get them to listen, um, you know, taking things personally will also cause shame and will cause a reaction inside of you and a behavior outside of you towards your child that is not aligned with what's actually going on with them. And so those, those three factors are things that I want to, that we'll continue to talk about throughout this episode. Um, but I want to go ahead and start with some story time. Let's see. I was a nanny for many years and with one of my families uh, that I worked with for almost two years, I had been with them when the, the time this story happened, I had been with them for about a year. So I was settled in, we had our routine, you know, I had a, a really strong bond and relationship with them. And, you know, I had become a primary caregiver, a primary attachment figure and a safe place and all of those things. And I remember this particular story because it was one of the only times that I have experienced the level of rage (laughs) towards a child that I think that this mom might be talking about. And, um, and it terrified me. It it absolutely wrecked my own view of myself and who I am or who I was as a caregiver and a professional and a lover of children and all of these things. So the boy was about three, he was three something. So I'd been with him for a little over a year Uh, and we had baby gates up. Uh, there were there were two staircases, and so we had two baby gates on one on the stairs going down and one on the stairs going up, uh, so that you know no one could go on the stairs without a caregiver present. And the the little boy kept uh, he kept like he would he would stand on like the base of the baby gate and shake it, mm-hmm. and I had explained to him. You know, <laughs> 70 times that minute that, you know, please don't do that. If, you know, when you do that, uh, it shakes the sides loose and you could knock the gate over and get, get really hurt. Um, and he would listen and he, and I would, you know, thought he was understanding. And then I'd, I'd kind of go back around the corner to the kitchen and I would think I was fixing lunch or something or a snack for them, but I was occupied and they were supposed to be playing in the living room. And, you know, once again, heard, heard the gate jiggling around the corner and came around the corner and said again, like, Hey, please go in the living room and play. That's not safe. And, you know, over, I mean, it was literally in like a less than five minute time span. I think it happened like four or five times where, and you know, I 
was not setting the boundary firmly enough of like, don't do that, or I'm not going to let you do that anymore. I was tired. I was trying to get snack done or get dinner prepared or something. And I was otherwise occupied and frustrated and just kept coming around the corner and being like, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. And the next, the next thing that I heard was rattle, 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 slam. And this was not, this floor was a hard, um, tile and it was a raw material, like rock, like, uh, Mm. tile. So it wasn't like shiny and smooth. It was a rough, um, very rugged kind of tile on the floor. And these baby gates were metal. They were not the plastic. So they were, they were all metal parts. And, um, and so he shook it loose and it fell and it fell on top of him and made a very loud bang. And so I came around the corner and my first thought was, oh my, you know, oh my gosh, is he hurt because Mm -hmm. it fell on him. And he kind of like sprung up, he jumped up and, and seemed fine and took that like, and then just, like started screaming and crying like, and like he was terrified, not like he was hurt. And I, and I was like, Oh my gosh, like, buddy, are you okay? And he was like, yeah. Um, I, I said, are you hurt? And he, and he said, and he said, no. And I was like, I was like, okay. I was like, did you get scared by the loud noise? And he goes, and he, and he goes, and he's still like screaming and crying <laughs> or whatever. And I said, I said out loud to this terrified, <laughs> traumatized child, I told you that's what was going to happen. <laughs> I told you so. <laughs> and I remember, I just, I just had like, I just even telling that, like admitting that out loud to the world just ha- I had a visceral reaction in my body of like tingles that just went down into my fingers and into my toes all the way yeah. like from my chest of of shame because in that moment this this crying tiny terrified <laughs> child instead of wrapping him in my arms and addressing his needs in the moment mm-hmm. and helping him return to safety, helping him regulate his nervous system and his terror. I shamed him. Yeah. He's three. You, he doesn't you know. You reacted out of, uh, out of your child rather than and the I've, adult caretaking. When I reacted out of my ego and I reacted out of, out of, not delight, that's not the right word, but out of like, I felt justified. Mm. Mm, yeah. Like I, like I knew that's what was going to happen. I told you that's what was going to happen. And now, you, you know, yeah. now you've learned. Yeah. And yeah. I felt, I don't even know if justified's the right word, but I was, I felt righteous. Vindicated. Maybe, Vindicated. Or, yeah. I don't know. Something. There's a lot yeah. of words flying yeah. around right now. Yeah. And once he had calmed down and I had, you know, walked away and 
cooked dinner and whatever. And I was driving home. I cried the entire way home and yeah. I felt awful. And I got home and I went to my partner that I was with at the time. And I was, I just was crying. I was just bawling and just lost in shame. He, and, and he didn't understand. And it took me a while to actually tell him the story because I felt so bad about it. And I couldn't believe, like, I, I didn't want him to see that part of me, that dark part of me that felt good doing that mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. to something so tiny and vulnerable. And mm-hmm. yeah. Even for an instant. Yeah. Even for, yeah, just a flicker of an instant. And, but once I told my partner about it, once I, once it was out there, I, it was like, it was a, it was kind of like a weight lifted off of me and I didn't mm-hmm. feel quite so bad about it. I still felt like, I mean, it, like not that I then made it okay, but I, a weight lifted off of me having admitted that to someone sure. because as a, as a nanny or as a parent, you constantly feel the weight of their lives and their experiences and their emotions on you. And to admit that no matter how good I was at my job, how professional I was, or how much I loved and adore children, that I was still, that there was still a part of me that was imperfect Welcome to being a human being. Was it felt awful coming up and out, but once it was out here, I, it felt liberating. Mm-hmm. And not and and I went back the next day, and and that liberation, that admission, and awareness of of what I did, and and accepting that 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 darkness or that thing or that imperfection lived inside of me allowed me to go back the next day. And I think at breakfast or something, I said, Hey bud, it's like, you remember when the, when that gate fell down yesterday um, and how scary it was? And he goes, yeah, you know, that was so loud, you know? And he, you know, he's like (laughs) being a three-year-old and I was like, well, I just want to I just want to tell you that I'm really sorry that I wasn't more loving towards you when you were scared. I'm really sorry that I said I told you that was going to happen instead of I'm sorry that that happened to you and I'm mm-hmm. here and you're safe. Mm-hmm. And he goes, "Oh, okay." <laughs> and And that's great. That's an apology. But then I went on to Mm -hmm. say, I went on to explain to him that even though I told you not to do it, even though I tried to teach you that that's what was going to happen, it is normal at your age to want to try things and learn them for yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, he is going to walk away from that experience, even with a heartfelt apology, without explaining that to him and telling him that what he did 
was normal for him and not to be ashamed of it, not to carry some kind of like, I'm a burden or I don't listen or I'm bad Mm -hmm. to not carry that forward and internalize that from what I said inside of the experience. It's, Mm -hmm. it takes more than just an apology. Um, an apology is great. It's a first step, but then telling your child that it, that what, what they did was, was normal. Mm -hmm. And that's how we learn. And that that was scary. And I'm sorry that that happened to you Mm -hmm. because you can hold all of those things all at once. And there's in a lot of parenting that I have seen, there is this feeling or fear that if you don't really drive the lesson home that a child learns when they don't listen to you, then they're not going to, it's not going to soak in and they're not going to carry it forward and listen to you the next time. Mm-hmm. And, but your job in that moment is not to drive it home and make sure the lesson sticks and that they feel all that pain and carry it with them. And next time they'll just listen to you blindly because they won't promise they won't because the nature of humans is to try things for ourselves and learn things. Yep. Test boundaries. And that's your, this is your, this is your velociraptor thing. Oh, (laughs) well, sort of, kind of, yeah. You know, that's uh, watching Jurassic Park. There's a scene uh, where the where the I think it's the game warden is is saying, and they think they they're systematic somewhere in there. There's they're systematically testing the fences, mm-hmm. and it occurred to me that that's a perfect description of raising children. I I just I like to refer to them as little velociraptors when they're doing that because they're always running around checking the gate. You know, uh, the other moral of the story there is as well, we need to put screws in the wall on the gate, you know, to, you know, in a perfect world. That's something they're all experiences we learn from. And, and, um, you know, what you were talking about feeling unburdened when you shared it out loud, you know, that's, that's the whole thing behind, you know, confession or prayer or having a friend to share things with, you know, it, you know, when you get it out, then you've acknowledged it. And now you, now you've taken a step towards dealing with it instead of, mm-hmm. you know, just hiding it and covering it up and wearing it the rest of your life. You know, it's, it's, uh, something about the way we're made. I'm sure there are better psychological explanations for it, but yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a terrific story and growth all around. And, and now also the the little boy's got an experience of somebody said something snarky to him as, as he would have processed that, but also coming back, somebody coming back and trying to remedy that or whatever, you know, setting his expectations for how to be treated. And Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just all kinds of learning going on in that story all at all levels. Yeah. Well, and that's, so that's a great uh, way to wrap up that story is that it was a, it was a learning experience. Um, No one is perfect. And 
So, so the, so the, the gift of imperfection, I think that's actually a book title. I think that's a Brene Brown book. Uh, the Hmm. gifts of imperfection, I think. Yeah. Uh, I actually have it over there on my shelf. Um, the, the gift of messing up and not being perfect as a parent, as a human, as being in a relationship is that you get to see this side of yourself and you get to, to learn that that thing exists inside of you. You become aware of it. And then that's what allows you to heal it. And that's also what allows you to learn what is normal for your child and what your Mm -hmm. child is going to do and the Mm -hmm. nature of children. And like you said, to problem solve that it's not to, try and bang into his head 300 times a day, not to shake the gate, maybe the solution. And he never did it again, by the way. So that did teach him and he never did it again, but we don't always want, we don't want every lesson that our children (laughs) learns to be that traumatizing and that scary. And Mm -hmm. so a solution that had been discussed a lot, even before that happened and never happened But um, a solution to that moment is, okay, get more secure baby gates. Do what you need to do so that the baby gates are no longer a safety issue. Nail it down, baby. Yeah. And it's like I I had a roommate once when I was younger and my dog, Lucy, would – she had a cat and she would leave her bedroom door open and the cat food out on the floor. And she would get mad if Lucy came in and ate the cat food. (laughs) And then she tried to tell me that I had to buy her more cat food. And I Mm. said, we talked about this when you moved in. I have a dog. (laughs) If you leave food at her eye level or below, or even up on the counter, you know, it's literally in the lease so that it's in writing and understand you understand (laughs) that's how far I had to go when I was getting roommates back then living with strangers. Crazy. Um, I had to write these things into a lease so that people couldn't, whatever, try to screw me over. All food uh, at counter or below is mine dogs. Is it, The dog <laughs> will get to it. And not, not just like for them to not lose their food, but to yeah. not make my dog sick. Well, and yeah. yes, there's a level of training she did not receive when she was a puppy because I was broke. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. working and whatever, I didn't have, I didn't train her. She, and she, even with reward and punishment, she still gets on the counter if you leave a pizza on the counter. Yeah. Yeah. Too it's much the temptation. nature <laughs> of a dog. Yeah. It is the Don't. nature of a dog. Don't be surprised it, by it. You, right. And so if you leave that food on the floor, her eating that food is your fault. Not hers. If you know that that's what she's going to do and you choose to do it anyway, it's your fault that your cat food got eaten. Not mine. And it's your responsibility. Your responsibility. It's not my responsibility. My dog is not a responsible frontal lobe thinking creature. (laughs) She is an animal and she will do what she does. And she's She's programmed to do. Yeah. So anyway... Children are the same. Children are programmed 
to learn about their environment. And the way they learn about their environment is by testing boundaries and pushing rules and negotiating and thinking for themselves and trying new things. And if we shame them when they do that, no matter how triggering it might be for us, if we shame them and we don't become aware of our own triggers, become aware of it, fix it, figure it out, heal your stuff and get better or come back and apologize and normalize it for your child, then your child is going to grow up feeling like they are nothing but a burden, nothing but an annoyance, or they are stupid and they just don't listen and they're bad and all of these things. They're going to internalize all of that snarkiness that you think Mm -hmm. is just like, I see parents too, who just think it's like, 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 like reciprocal sarcasm. Think it's and it's like your three-year-old doesn't understand sarcasm. <laughs> they don't. Sorry. They're little sponges. There's almost nothing that you'd say or do around a kid that's actually inconsequential. Yeah. The gift of imperfection is that we get to learn. We get to grow. We get to become aware and get better. Um, and yeah. so the goal of this podcast is not necess- is not to shame any parents or tell you that there's, you have to do it this way or else you're a terrible person. Like none of that. It's to like to talk through all of these like multifaceted issues and look at them from all these different angles and um, talk about where, where that stuff comes from and why, you know, how it actually serves us, why it comes up and then how to move forward with that. Um, Yeah. yeah. So I want, I wanted, sorry, go ahead. That's it. I mean, that's the trick when you're parenting. I've I've got a similar story mm-hmm. um, of losing my cool, not being a perfect parent, um, with one of your brothers when they were little. He was a uh, he was a little hyperactive, little little ADD like his dad. And uh, one like night, all of us. I don't, we were all eventually I, diagnosed with it. <laughs> well, there you go, genetic. And so, so I don't remember all the circumstances. I don't remember the, cause it was 30 some years ago. Not sure how old he was. And he was, he was diagnosed ADD, but this, I don't know. And I don't know if this was before or after. Um, cause when, when we realized he was ADD, which would have been kindergarten. So he was four or five, um, kindergarten teacher asked us to have him tested or when he started school was when we had him tested. And that was kind of a new thing back then, at least new to me. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we were having an evening and uh, uh, I ended up uh, not being, he was also big for his age. I don't, I don't want to excuse this, but there are all kinds of factors that go into uh, how we process what our kids do. And, and, and what they're I capable know, of. You've, you've yeah. told me that he was, because he was so much bigger for his age, he seemed yeah. older. And so he, it seemed like yeah. he would, be, he should be more capable of self-control and listening self-control and all those things. And yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's something we learned and, and practiced, or I learned and practiced after, uh, uh, after we knew that, that he, you know, learned about kids. And, uh, but boy, this evening he was, I think I was trying to get him to bed and he was not going to bed. And I remember 
grabbing him by the arms and pinning him down on the bed, you know, looming over him as a dad and yelling at him, you know, I'm making him, expecting him to stay in bed. Do not get out of this bed again. And, uh, (laughs) and like you described, I mean, you walk away from that just feeling like a turd resorting to that, you know, you just run out of, I've run out of tools and, uh, and that probably has something to do with my desire to come up with better tools going forward. You know, the firstborn was an experiment, I guess. And so he, he bore the brunt of all that. And, uh, um, yeah, those experiences, I think everybody has them. It'd be, we imagine that we don't, you know, with Facebook and everything, we see the, the perfect parts of everybody else's lives. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that's part and parcel of parenting is losing your cool and learning not to better and learning how to redirect and learning better, you know, learn ways to head it off and learn ways to better ways to deal with it. It's all learning. I don't, I don't look at kids as being different than their parents or other people. It's all, we're all human beings and grownups have had a little longer learning curve, you know, but we're still subject to all the big, the big feelings and and everything that kids are are too, you know, we just had more practice hopefully and have learned a little more. Um, But yeah, those are, there are going to be not proud moments in your parenting no matter how smart you are, no matter how much money you've got, no matter, no matter, no matter. Um, and it's a, it's a challenge. Two things come up for me as you're, you're tying that story up. And one is that we are still learning just because we're parents doesn't mean that we know everything and everyone is still a student of life, no matter what, no one, living has experienced everything you could possibly experience. And so you know what you know, and there's a lot you don't know. And so being open to learning new things and checking in with yourself and seeing yourself um, from a lens of like reality versus um, I'm the adult, you're the child. I know more than you. So I, you know, just listen to me blindly, but it, it allows us to be in relationship. So the, the apology and the normalizing and the discovering this part of yourself that you didn't know could get activated the le- or the level of rage, um, that my friend in the email is talking about, or that you felt when you, you know, you, put him in bed, (laughs) Um, (laughs) stuck him. And yeah. Um, you know, once we're aware of those things, part of a relationship is conflict and recovery and arguably in my own experience, this is not a psychological thing, um, scientifically for, but from my own experience, one of the most effective pieces of being in healthy relationship is the ability to have a conflict and then fully recover and not just slap a bandaid on it, not just agree to disagree and move on. Like nothing happened. Not to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Sweep things under the rug and just not talk about it until everyone, you know, just take a couple days to cool off and then we just move on. 
none of those things are true recovery. So the ability to have a conflict, whether it's between you and another adult or you and your child, the ability to have a conflict and maybe it wasn't a very healthy conflict and to be the one to come back together and say, Hey, this is how I messed up. Yeah. This is how you did not deserve to be treated. And I am sorry. And I will do better next time. Uh, that, that is one of the most powerful, most solidifying parts of a healthy relationship that could possibly exist. And that is what will give longevity and trust and safety over time and repetition. That is what will build a bond with your child leaps and bounds yeah. over yeah. And any a... gift you give them or what, like whatever else, you, you know, um, positive, positive bonding experiences and positive mm-hmm conflict recovery experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, you know, uh, what do they talk about? Battlefield buddies or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we learn the child that fell in the gate and got scared, you know, fear is a big teacher trauma or, or being, being scared or hurt. And in those situations together, that those are tremendously, impactful learning experiences you know mm-hmm. i remember i remember talking to josh i don't remember what i said but i remember letting him know after that 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 was it was the next day but it you know that that's dad lost his cool and shouldn't have done that and that's the other half of you know like you say an apo- i don't know if i went past much past apology and and um you know you shouldn't be treated that way um, that that was my bad, not yours. Um, that's part of the, you have to own your stuff, you know, you, 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 you share, you can share it with people and unburden and get it out there, which is really not about the other person. It's about, it's like a, a, uh, like a marriage, you know, what do they call it? A public and, uh, a, a public show of something. You know, you're getting, you're making it public when you, when you get it out of your own head, you're making it public, it's healing. And the next, uh, next step, like, a like Alcoholics Anonymous is, you know, you acknowledge there's something bigger than you that you need to, uh, whether it's a relationship or whatnot that you need to acknowledge it to. And then you need to talk to, you know, the apology the the go around. I think one of the steps in Alcoholics Anonymous is to go around and apologize apologize to people mm-hmm. you've um, um, wronged in some way. And that's a, that's just another, that's just the way people are wired normally. You know, that's, yeah. uh, those are, those are absolutely important steps. You see that elsewhere. Well, and we life. don't, we're wired or we learn it in adulthood and we can see examples of it, but it's so often overlooked in, towards children yeah, because of that power dynamic that we always talk about of, you know, parents over children. And it's like, I know stuff and you don't. And so there's, there's this mm-hmm. lack of respect mm-hmm. towards the child as a whole human, having a fully whole human experience and deserves the same kindness and respect and 
input and acknowledgement and validation and all of those things. Um, and even on a greater level, because they, they, they're learning, they're brand new yeah. here. Yeah. So they not only no do we experience. need to give them the same respect that we would give someone else in our life that we love and respect, but give them, but even more, even more validation, even more normalizing things for them, even more empathy. Yeah. Um, because if they are going to grow into a confident self-worth having independent person, they need all of those things in childhood. So I want to close this episode down with giving a little, we kind of gave our own examples and stories, but I want to give a little bit more somatic experiential um, practice to any parents that are listening and are really looking to uh, work on, on whether it's anger or frustration or yelling at your kid, you know, losing your stuff on your kids, whatever that might be. Feeling anger. I just want to wrap, wrap up with kind of a helpful tool. Um, And so one, I want every parent to understand that, you're not alone and you may feel that way and you may not have everyone, anyone immediately close to you that you can rely on. Um, but I think, I, I think that a lot of people do and they're just, and you, you've got to be able to reach out and ask for help and look around and see where the resources are. And, you know, if, if you are truly, either surrounded by no one or, you know, supported by no one or surrounded by people who you cannot rely on. So they're, you know, toxic family situations, et cetera. Um, then either find a parent group or find a therapist or find a coach, uh, find a psychologist, someone, someone that you can talk to, uh, because that, piece of it is so important and so validating and so self like being able to see yourself outside of your own head, um, is so helpful, but specifically to work with anger, anger is a secondary emotion in most instances. It can be a primary emotion, but in a lot of instances, anger is actually a secondary emotion, which means that it is a cover-up for the real emotion that's underneath. So yeah. what lives, what is living underneath the anger um, that you are experiencing towards your child? And I am going to reference, and I'll put a link in the show notes to this for anyone who's interested, but I... There's this emotion wheel uh, that I was introduced to years ago, and I'll just hold it up for a second here. Um, And it was invented, I believe, in 1980 by a psychologist. And I wrote his name down. I don't know where it went. Let's see. Robert Puchnik. Puchnik. Puchik. Puchnik. Puchik. Puchik. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, and, but I just want to give credit where credit is due. I did not invent this wheel, but I've used this wheel for years. And in the center are, depending on what wheel you look up, because there's, 
if you type that into Google, uh, there's several versions of this, you know, that have been modified since 1980, obviously, mm. uh, modified, updated, etc., based on different understandings of human emotions. But the middle circle is like base emotions. So anger, fear, happy, sad, surprised, disgusted. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and so the center is very, very like basic human emotion. And then it extends out into two more sections and it goes into more descriptive and more in-depth descriptions of, of, for instance, anger. So anger could also mean that you are humiliated, you are have been let down, you are bitter about something, you are feeling aggressive or defensive or frustrated, um, critical. So you're judging something. Um, something feels like an injustice. Something feels like a betrayal. Uh, mm. You're feeling resentful, disrespected, etc. Um, and so, what I the exercise that I want to give to you as a parent is to, whenever you have a moment, I know that they are few and far between. But whenever you have five minutes to yourself, instead of turning on the TV, instead of scrolling on your phone and instead of picking up a book or, you know, right before bed, whatever it might be, when you have five minutes in the shower, maybe just take a moment <laughs> and check in with that anger. Remember whatever the situation was where you lost it, where you didn't show up as your best self or you responded in anger. Um, and instead of looking at why it happened or trying to think your way through what happened and why it triggered you, I just want you to find where that anger lives in your body first. Hmm. And just so you can close your eyes and take a moment. So don't do this while you're driving. <laughs> um, take a moment, close your eyes and find your anger and where it lives in your body. And then I want you to either look at this wheel um, or if you have enough, you know, emotional know-how on your own already, you can just sit with your eyes closed and feel into this and feel into what, what in that situation, what other feeling word comes to mind besides anger. Did, your did you feel disrespected by your child? Did you feel like they there was an injustice that happened. Did your child hurt, hurt your other child, hurt their sibling? Um, did you feel frustrated, overwhelmed, stressed out, you know, and just sit for a minute and, and see what the other emotion is, what the deeper emotion is. And from that, you can start to work with it you can start to, instead of just, I got mad and I lost my shit and every parent does it and I'm just going to move on. Instead of just washing over it, sweeping it under the rug, either for yourself or for your child or within your relationship, just take five minutes, look at where it lives in your body and give it a different name. 
because this is a, this you is are a just, cool tool. Thank you. You are from that simple practice, you are going to be able to the next time something happens, the next time that trigger, we talked about emotions being energy in motion in your body. The next time you feel that when your child does something, you are going to be able to catch it so much faster. And you may not catch it the next time that it happens or five more times after that. But if you, every time it happens, you sit with yourself and rename it and find out where it lives in your body, you are going to be able to start working with that. And you are going to be able to start catching it in the moment and stopping it. Yeah. Or talking about it. They just kind of, they spill out on your kids because you're not conscious I don't know, they still use the words conscious, unconscious, ego, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. You know, if you're not aware of it, of where it's coming from, then it just kind of spills out because you're not directional with it. If uh, if you have mm-hmm. a thought and you go, oh, yeah, I'm reliving my child, something in my childhood or something like that, mm-hmm. that's causing this feeling towards your child uh, that might not be appropriate or, or justified, then... Yeah, and this is a great, I like, I mean, it, it starts with a small number of basic emotions in the middle, and just having a list of all these emotions to go, what what the heck am I feeling? It's nice to have 50 or 75 words here to look at, and because if you can't name it, it's harder to deal with. If you can just come up with, well, it's mm-hmm. not quite disappointment, but it uh, sounds like something else. That's a that's a big step to, it's a five-minute, what you're describing is a five-minute way to work on work on your stuff um, in the midst of life. This is a great tool. And I didn't, you know, I, I don't particularly remember learning any words in my childhood to Mm -hmm. express my emotions outside of these, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 basic. I'm mad. I'm sad. I'm whatever. And, you know, in adulthood, in my own therapy and having this wheel and, you know, it kind of blew my mind, you know, and, and through socialization and college, you know, you, you kind of pick up other words to describe different emotions, but, um, no one, no one taught them to me until I was like 26 and Mm -hmm. got some therapy Mm -hmm. and I discovered this emotion wheel or it was given to me. And, Mm -hmm. and it was just like, whoa, like there are so many different kinds of emotions. Like because words you read for them and you're like, ex- oh. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, it, it is, it's mind blowing. It still is mind blowing. I use this, you know, my husband and I use this sometimes, not so much anymore because we've had it for so long, but, um, but we used to hang it in our house and reference it when we would fight so that we could accurately tell our partner what was going on for us. Um, because then that allowed them to understand what was happening so that they could actually respond to what we needed versus just seeing anger. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's hard to communicate without a common frame of reference. It lets everybody, mm-hmm. 
okay, now we can figure out what furious means, you know, or here yeah. you're looking at furious right now or or mm-hmm. something like that. I've seen this as part, these words I really first ran into, uh, I saw at a, uh, at a marriage uh, encounter kind of thing where people were learning to communicate and they, you know, here's lists of words you probably shouldn't use and here's a list of emotions that you, that might be better to use so that I think they gave us little cards, you know, cause so you could, you could go, Hey, here's a, here's some words in front of me, you know, instead of just, I can't, can't come up with the word right now, especially if you're upset and not thinking straight. Well, it's a great mm-hmm. tool to have a list of words in front of you. That's uh, this is a good thing. I like it. Yeah. Especially when you're super triggered, super in your lizard brain and fighting with mm-hmm. your spouse or fighting with your child, this could be, something that if you, if it's visual, you put it in your environment somewhere where you're going to like see it, you mm-hmm. know, maybe you blow it up, make it a little bit bigger than an eight and a half mm-hmm. by 11 sheet of paper, put mm-hmm. it on the fridge. It's going, to, it's going to grab your attention. It's very colorful and bright. It's going to grab your attention and it, it kind of helps ground you and bring you back down to earth and like, and it's like, okay, I'm still mad or I'm still frustrated. I'm still, you know, like tense, but I'm going to look at that stupid piece of paper and go that one. That's what I feel. (laughs) Which one am I? Yeah. Yeah. And for my, this just popped up for me that I feel like I need to share because I think that it's an association that, that is often overlooked. And for me, anger comes most often when I am scared, scared, Mm. Not, not in like the physical sense, but scared, like, oh my God, we're in conflict and you're, you Mm -hmm. become scared of losing that connection with Mm -hmm. your partner, Mm -hmm. with your child. Um, This is actually a very common one for children. Their behavior Mm -hmm. is actually a survival mechanism out of fear of losing their connection with you. But for me, my husband has had to learn and I learned alongside him cause I didn't know. <laughs> um, but we learned together that when he sees me angry, he, he, his, his best defense is if he, if he can in the moment, cause he has his own stuff to regulate. But he, if he sees me angry, instead of getting bigger and madder and more defensive, his best tactic in that moment is to, is to make a safe environment for me. And whether that means, Hey, saying something out loud and going, Hey, I see anger. I'm guessing you're scared right now. Let's take a deep breath. We we'll figure this out. We always talk through Mm -hmm. stuff like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're saying he will literally say the words, you are safe right now. You are safe. And everything is going to be okay. And then that literally, it literally just completely like drops everything that I have into the ground. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> Whew. That was scary there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, oh, and, and then we can sit down and discuss whatever's going yeah. on. Um, yeah. so anyway, that's just, that's just another, another layer, another piece, another tool. 
I just, I, we could talk. I feel like we could just talk for hours yeah, this all is the, the time. Fun part. We've always been able to do this. That's the cool part about relationships is conflicts are more intense because there's danger. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to lose the relationship as opposed to a passing stranger that says the same thing and you just keep walking. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, there's no risk there. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, learning to be relational with your kids and teaching them how to do that for other people in their lives, you know, building relationships. Relationships is a is a very good human skill to have. Some would argue it's the most important skill to have. How to stay in them, get how to make them and then keep them. Good also, thing. we're gonna wrap up because we're at our time, but I forgot to point out my new sign at the beginning of the episode. It's a Pretty little cool too shiny and we're gonna we're gonna get it fixed we're either gonna mattify it or put it on a different um material but i officially have a background for the podcast very cool and we're working on yours we're working on your background so we have a little getting more aesthetically pleasing for those who watch us on youtube you know figuring out how to cast how to podcast yeah so we will wrap up here. We um, let's see. Next week will be our last episode, just you and me, before we start diving into taking guests. Mm-hmm. So we will do another topic next week, me and Dad, and the week after that, February twenty sixth, um, I will have my first guest and she is a she's a parent she is also a coach for moms and um professional moms professional working moms specifically is her niche and she has got some great insights into her parenting journey and um yeah so I'm excited we're March March is going to be, we have a whole theme for March. So stay tuned for that. And yeah, we're ramping up here, people. So keep tuning in every Thursday morning uh, and we will see you next time. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. Bye, everybody. If someone came to mind while you were listening to this episode or you are wishing you had a friend to digest it with, I would be so honored if you shared this link from this episode with them. I myself have always benefited from community and sharing, and I truly believe that it takes a village to raise a child. Our society has become so independent from one another, and parenting these days is often a lonely journey. But it doesn't have to be that way. That's why I'm here. If you have been seeking a more intentional approach to parenting, but you aren't sure where to start, I would love to hear from you. You can find me and all of my offerings at www.jennyb.co and come follow me on all major social media platforms. It fills my heart to hear your stories, where you come from, and your big goals for raising the next generation. And don't forget, comment your parenting question on our YouTube channel, The Relational Parenting Podcast to get it answered on one of our future episodes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss out. I am so grateful that you are here. 
And always remember, you are never alone. I'll see you next week. This show is intended for education and entertainment purposes only. We will discuss things like mental health, abuse, PTSD, and other potentially triggering subjects. Please listen at your own discretion, and this podcast is not intended for anyone under the age of 18.